Guys, good Thursday afternoon. I'm Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us on the I Love Seville show. It's great to be with you from downtown Charlottesville in the Macklin building. We are in the epicenter of movers and shakers. In fact, a city planner, Brian Haluska, just walked by the, the studio. Um, interesting tidbit about Brian Haluska. And Brian, if I'm mispronouncing your last name, I certainly apologize. Let me get his uh, exact title. Um, now with Charlottesville. And then I'll give you an interesting story about Brian. I'm going to Brian's LinkedIn. John Blair, you watch it on LinkedIn. Brian's a, a class act. I don't want to speak for you. I would, I would think you would think the same from your time um, in City Hall. Um, he is, oh, now he's a support services manager. He's managing the City of Charlottesville's permit intake operation as well as servicing as the project manager for the eventual implementation of a new permit tracking system. He was the principal planner of Charlottesville from March 2015 to August 2022. So for seven years and six months, Brian Haluska was the principal planner of Charlottesville. Literally just walked by the studio. Saw the mayor walk by the studio as well. Um, when I was fresh out of UVA, I started at the Daily Progress as a stringer, as a part-time reporter, earning $30 per story, working for Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, the star of The Jerry and Jerry Show, which airs Tuesdays at 10.15 a.m. on the I Love Seville Network. I'm excited for the 2024 launch of The Jerry and Jerry Show, which is Tuesday. We'll talk Virginia men's basketball as well later in the show. Great win against Louisville, a bounce-back win against Louisville after getting shellacked by Notre Dame. And when I'm fresh out of UVA, I'm working part-time at the Daily Progress, $30 a story, covering high school sports. Parlayed that opportunity under Hootie to a staff writer position. The staff writer position is a full-time job. Pay was $10 an hour, legitimately $10 an hour, to be a staff writer in the sports department. Fresh out of college. This is, what, 25, 2005, 2006? My parents almost begged me not to take the job. Um, and then after a couple of years as a staff writer, mediocre raises, working nights, holidays, putting the paper to bed, literally walking out of the Daily Progress on Rio Road at 1 a.m. after reading the first few copies that came off the printing press and doing one last check, there was a few times in my tenure at the Daily Progress where you would take the actual newspaper, the hard copies off the printing press. They used to print the newspaper on Rio Road. And you'd read it, and you'd look for errors, and you would have to go. I, I did this twice in my six or seven years at the Progress. I literally ran into the press room, and I would scream, Stop the presses! Stop the presses! It was a terrifying and invigorating call to action. And I was like, my mid-20s, and the guys that were working the press at the Daily Progress were in their 50s or 60s. I mean, guys that were, were, were printing newspapers and working the printing presses straight out of high school. The highest paid people at the Daily Progress were the men in their 50s and 60s working the printing presses. Because that was a union position at the time. The writers, the editors, the advertising executives, that was not unionized. So we were paid peanuts twice in my six or seven years at the newspaper so long ago. Time flies, dude. Um, I ran into the press on Rio Road and screamed, stop the presses, stop the presses. 
because after taking one or two of the first copies printed and then me and a couple of team members, we would review the headlines. Always you would focus on the headlines, then the sub-headlines, then the, um, the decks below the photos, and then you'd get into the copy. Twice I saw or found errors. And when you stop the presses, it is a serious, serious situation. Because the error is so egregious, you don't want additional copies to get out there. The copies that were printed, they still get out. But the copies, when you scream, stop the presses, at that call to action moment, the remaining copies are changed or edited. That's how it worked. Or at least it worked at the Daily Progress on Rio Road. And... In my time at the newspaper, I went from a staff writer, $10 an hour, to the high school sports editor. I caveat it, one of the youngest editors in the history of the newspaper. Chris Wright, who was the high school sports editor, the preps editor, he took over um, the editor position of thesaber.com. The Saber is a Virginia sports institution. It's a website. Now Chris Wright owns the Saber. Chris Wright's a fantastic guy. Also the girls basketball coach at Western Amara High School. So when Chris left to take over the Sabre, Hootie Ratcliffe promoted me to preps editor, high school sports editor of the Daily Progress. And one of our stringers, one of our part-time reporters at the Daily Progress, and we had many of them, the main use of high school part-time reporters, stringers, was to cover Friday night football where we would deploy anywhere from four to eight stringers to cover various high school football games in Central Virginia. They would go as far as Buckingham County, to Mineral, to Lions, to the Lions Den in Louisa, especially when Mark Fisher was contending for state championships. We had to call Pepper. We'd go to Madison. We'd always cover Albemarle, Western, Charlottesville, Monticello, often covered uh, St. Anne's Belfield. One of the stringers in my early tenure as high school sports editor of the Daily Progress was Brian Haluska, who is now a top dog head honcho. I'm giving you some props there, Brian. Uh, within City Hall, the former city uh, principal planner of Charlottesville City. The longer you spend in this community, the more you realize that this community is one degree two degree, three degrees apart. Everyone talks about the, what is it, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? What's the phrase, Judah? That's it. Is it, it's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon? Yeah. Okay, and you got, you're chattering so your viewers and listeners can hear you? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm chattering, but I'm. Yeah, because you've got uh, a lot to offer. They count on you today. They count on you often. Cool. So if it's six degrees of Kevin Bacon, Judah, what is it in Charlottesville, Virginia? Is it Um, like... Three degrees of Lloyd Snook? <laughs> Could be. I mean, is it, yeah. uh, who is the most iconic, who is the Kevin Bacon of Charlottesville, Virginia? Is it may, former Mayor Lloyd Snook? Is he the Kevin Bacon? I don't think he is the Kevin you Bacon. You see what I'm getting at here, right? Are you on yeah. a two shot? Yeah, I am now. Okay. Um, yeah, I know what you're getting at. I'd... Six degrees of Kevin Bacon is a Hollywood reference. Because he played in, he was an actor in so many movies that people were tied to Kevin Bacon's family tree in some capacity. Is it that? I just thought that a lot of people had described that they were 
they were close to Kevin Bacon and could uh, could well, basically connect to to any other person within six six degrees because he was in so many movie roles. Okay, yeah. So if Kevin Bacon is the family tree of Hollywood, who is the family tree of Charlottesville City? I mean, think about what Mayor Snook has. Mayor, two-term mayor, two-term city councilor, was a planning commissioner, defense attorney. I mean, how many people has he encountered as a defense attorney? Right? Yeah. Decades of defense attorney. Has a law practice right down the hall from us. Can you think of anyone else that would be the six degrees of Kevin Bacon or the three degrees of Lloyd Snook? I'm sure our viewers could. All right, viewers. Who do you think that would, who do you think that would uh, best fit, that moniker? I mean, maybe... Uh, who can I think of? Mm. I'm curious of your take. John, I'm curious of your take on that one. John Blair, you know the, the, uh, the community inside and out. I'm curious of your take on that, Kevin Yancey and Kevin Higgins, Vanessa Parkhill. I'm curious of your take. Um, no, I don't think it's I don't think it's us, Deep Throat. I, th- I I think it's I think it's I would give it to Mayor Snook. I would give it to Mayor Snook. Mike Murphy has found himself leading jaunt again. Mike Murphy, one-time interim city manager, City Hall, has done a fantastic job of 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 finding top-level employment in Charlottesville City, but still I think Lloyd Snook's family tree and the branches run further and longer and deeper. Anyway, that was, uh, we got on this tangent because of Halusco walking by the studio. All right, so I want to get into the nitty-gritty here, Judah, and I want to talk, um, talk real estate. I'm passionate about real estate. You know I'm passionate about real estate. We, we own a fair amount of it. We love to talk about it. And we're going to take a deep dive on it today. Mr. DL, who's watching the program, Mr. DL, we, we love when you watch the show, he sent me this morning a listing of 1316 Chesapeake Street. Coincidentally, Deep Throat sent me the same listing of 1316 Chesapeake Street. Deep Throat also sent me 922 Bowling Avenue, Unit 9. We have those photos for you. I want to get back to showing photos on screen of our viewers and listeners from a ranking standpoint. What is the URL? We need to create a tab on ilovesevil.com for the rankings. Do you know what the URL is? Is it ilovesevil.com forward slash rankings? Let me see. Because I want to queue it up and then I'll let you know which photos to put on screen. John Blair says, Kenny Leatherwood, that's a great call. He was and now is involved in so many kids' lives. Kenny Leatherwood is the current principal of Charlottesville High School. He's interim currently. He's the current interim principal of Charlottesville High School. He was the principal of Charlottesville High School for decades. He was the boys' basketball coach at Charlottesville High School. I know Mr. Leatherwood extremely well. I know his son, Kevin Leatherwood, who's a college basketball assistant coach, very well also. Kenny Leatherwood, John Blair, is a fantastic suggestion as the, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, the three degrees of Lloyd Snook in Charlottesville City. I will say Mayor Snook because of his... Man, Kenny Leatherwood is a good one because Leatherwood 
has arguably interacted with more people as a principal of a high school than Mayor Snook has as a defensive defense attorney in the Macklin Building practicing in Charlottesville and Almora and beyond. Does and beyond. Man, John, is your suggestion better than mine? I think John's suggestion might be better than mine. The principal of the only high school in Charlottesville, he's been there for decades. He's back at it, plus his boys' basketball activity. I'm going to call the six degrees of Kevin Bacon the three degrees of Kenny Leatherwood in Charlottesville City. I think that is a better suggestion, John Blair. Yours is better than mine. Props. What's the ranking, the, the website URL? Uh, viewer rankings. I love Seville.com forward slash viewer rankings. Yeah. All right. John Blair's photo needs to go on screen. He's number two in the poll. Let's get John. Arguably my favorite photo. I think that's my favorite photo of the rankings right there. Number two in the family, John Blair. Deep Throat is watching. Deep Throat, are you back from Montana and in the Ville? Because you are pretty much dictating the first three topics of today's show, Deep Throat. So let's get to real estate. You get JB on screen? No, not yet. Let us know when you have John Blair on screen so I can celebrate him. Stephanie Wells-Rhodes, I'm going to get to your comment here. Stephanie Wells-Rhodes says, Our, her father's uncle, Frank Morris, owned Riverside Lunch. And I'd love to know what you find on that judo with the history of the oldest restaurants in Charlottesville. She, she, Stephanie also says, my husband's grandfather was Henry Rhodes, who was a longtime employee with the photo hanging in the white spot. I'm excited about this. We're going to talk about that, Stephanie. Judah's got fantastic data. He spent a lot of the morning uh, looking into this. John's photos on screen? Uh, just about. Okay. Okay. So let's go to real estate first. Once you get John's photo on screen so we can give some man some props, I want you to get the pictures on screen from 1316 Chesapeake Street. 1316 Chesapeake Street is a two-bedroom house. It has one bathroom. It's 892 square feet. The lot is basically an eighth of an acre. An eighth of an acre. In fact, I learned today a one-acre lot is 4,000. There's John on screen. A one-acre lot is 43,560 square feet. I'll give you that number again. A one-acre lot is 43,560 square feet. So 1316 Chesapeake Street is basically less than an eighth of an acre. It has, you have those photos on screen? Not yet. All right, let us know when those are with a hand signal if you can. Two bedrooms, one bath, 892 square feet, and asking price of $499,900. This house, I am not throwing shade on any real estate. I'm not throwing shade on anyone. I'm not doing anything but highlighting trends in this community. This house is old. It was built in 1940. A home built in 1940, I can say, is old. Right, Judah? Sure. It's 83 years old. 80, almost 84 years old. When Judah flips, has these photos on screen and flips through it, you will see a house that needs uh, work. It needs TLC. Yet it's selling the asking price, the asking price is $560 a square foot. 
So you ask this question. I ask this question. You ask this question. Judah asked this question in our pre-production meeting. How can a two-bedroom house with one bathroom that's 892 square feet, that's less than an eighth of an acre, a house that is 84 years old, have an asking price of a half a million dollars, 499900 to be exact, right? So you do a little research. You dig into the listing, and the REMAX agent is Karen. Is it Kehoe? Am I saying your last, your last name correctly, Karen? Karen Kehoe? Is that right? K-E-H-O-E? A pros pro, Karen Kehoe. Props to Karen, props to REMAX, not throwing shade. You look into the listing, and you see the copy of the listing of how they're describing the property, and it says literally in the first line, just listed investment property with new zoning, law city, allows three units to be built, and you can leave the current home on the premises, which is sold as is. When a home is sold as is, it needs work. You got those photos on screen? Just about. All right, give me a thumbs up so I can highlight, tell the viewers and listeners to look. So literally in the first line of the listing, it says, just listed, investment property with new zoning, new zoning, you can build three units on it and leave the current house. So you can take less than an eighth of an acre and have four structures on it, four units on it. That's what justifies in the listing agent's mind and the seller's mind a half a million dollar asking price. Judah's got them on screen? I've got the first one on screen. Is the first one just the porch? Uh, it's a house taken from a jaunty angle. Okay, do you have the, uh, a picture on screen of the, the house from the outside, from the curb? Yes, a okay. picture of okay. the house from Good. a jaunty angle. Okay, fantastic. Thank you very much. Great. Very grateful. Very grateful. That's fantastic. I mean, you, you see this? They're asking half a million dollars for this, Judah. It's uh, $500,000 for this. Quite, quite a bit of hopefulness there, I would say. Would, but is hopefulness the right word, or is it accurately priced? It, it, the new city zoning allows four units on it. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's dig deeper. Before we get to restaurants, we'll dig deeper on this topic. Do you have any images that you can put on screen from the second listing that Deep Throat said, and he's confirming he's back in town? We might as well get Deep Throat's handsome mug on screen as well. Can we get Deep Throat's photo on screen, or we want to get 922 Bowling Avenue first? Uh, bowling is going to take me a, while, a little while. Also, I don't think they actually have a photo. It's oh, just it's a, just the parcel. It's just a map. It's the parcel map. Okay. Okay. Uh, give me a bit. 922 Bowling Avenue is just a map that shows where the property is located. It's land. All they're selling is land. It's a 6,098-square-foot lot. Remember, I just, we just talked about how much an acre of land is. It's 43,560 square feet. If you're taking a real estate exam, you need to know that fact. That is on the real estate exam licensing test. How many square feet and an acre of land? 43,560 square feet. Well, 922 Bowling Avenue, Unit 9, is 6,098 square feet. So this is less than an eighth of an acre, and it has an asking price of 400 k So Deep Throat, 
at this point, what you may want to do is get Deep Throat's chart. Do you have Deep Throat's chart ready to rock and roll? Uh, yeah. From the DMs? Yeah. You got to move about. quick when you're on this talk show here, J-Dubs. You got to have your head on a swivel. J-Dubs is like a slot, slot receiver going, to, going across the middle on a pass throw and right in front of him with a linebacker, a safety, and a defensive back trying to take his head off. He's got to have his head on a swivel. And he does. Show me your head on a swivel over there. Can you? Okay. There you go. Very nice. Swivel you got over there, Judah Wickhauer. Very nice. You would not get pummeled by the safety on the crossing round. I think you would survive and take it to the house. It's good to know. So Deep Throat has this thesis. This is evidence that with upzoning, you basically have... The lots with the crummiest structures, and these are his words, number one in the family, the lots with the crummiest structures, grade D, sell at the highest premium to assessed. In the past, the crummiest structures traded at the lowest premium or even a discount to assessment. It shows you, Deep Throat says, what upzoning does. Increases the land value for structures that are basically falling down. Because the land is the main value. It decreases the structure value. So let me unpack that for you. I will unpack what he's saying. Deep Throat is a very educated guy. I think I can say this without speaking out of deep throat, uh, out of turn, Deep Throat. A Harvard graduate he is. Here's what he's saying in layman's terms. And Judah, help me unpack it if you want, if you want me to unpack it more, some more. If you're an investor... If you're a speculator, an entrepreneur, and you're trying to make money through real estate speculation, what kind of speculation will you do to fully maximize the value of upzoning? You're not going to focus first on real estate in the city that has sexy structures on it or expensive structures on it. You know why you won't do that first? Because the structure on the land, the sexiness, the flashiness, the white kitchens, the open floor plans, the three bedrooms, the two baths, the, the, the master, the primary suite with the very nice bathroom, that's going to make the purchase more expensive. So before upzoning, those type of properties that had a structure on it, a single-family house that was move-in ready where you could raise your kids or you could start a family or you can retire in, that type of real estate was trading at a premium, at a premium above assessment. The type of properties that were not trading at a premium were the ones that had dilapidated or falling down, or, or struggling structures on them, homes that are sold as is. But now that the city's passed this upzoning plan, where they're trying to create pricing, uh, price stability by increasing density, investors, deep-pocketed individuals, the folks with money, they're now looking at the lots in the city that are either vacant land or have homes on it that are sold as is or are basically falling down because they know they can get the best deals, the best price point. 
Maybe best deals is not the, 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 the right term. The best price point for investment. Because they don't care about the structure. They're going to knock it down. All they care about is the dirt, where they can then maximize the dirt to build additional housing. So his theory, did you put the chart on screen? I did. Let's put that chart on screen one more time. There it is. Thank you very much. The sale premium over assessment by period and quality. The color blue is grade A. The color orange, grade B. Gray is grade C. Yellow is grade D. And he's tracking it from 2010 through 2023. It shows you that the lots that have the falling down properties, the grade D, in 2023, look at their premium over assessment and how they've spiked. It further reinforces my thesis, which I've made very clearly on the show, that upzoning is not going to breed price stability. Rather, it's going to breed expensive dirt, speculation, and investors that are going to want ROI after making purchases. Here's further what he says. I love when you're back in the house, uh, Deep Throat. The key thing here for the viewers and listeners, upzoning has the opposite effects on land versus structure. This solves the supposed conundrum that stumped former Mayor Lloyd Snook. Why do some people complain upzoning will destroy my property value and other people say upzoning will cause my assessment to go up? Snook suggested that people are simply not in tune with what's going on. Deep Throat used a different word. I'm going to use not in tune with what's going on. No, in this case, he missed the obvious. Whether your property value goes up or down depends in part on where the value of your property lies, in the land or in the structure. If you have a lot with a crummy structure, then the development option is the main value. Bingo. The house is going to get scraped. Bingo. The fact that you can build now three houses, yes, three houses via sublots on an RA lot means the development value is way above the structural value to the point that the structure value becomes irrelevant. Bingo. You just knock the stuff down. You just knock it down. Last comment from him. He says, if you have a lot with a big, beautiful structure, the development option is not worth anything. Not economical to tear down the house, nor particularly economical uh, to... God, what's that? Basically, he's saying... <laughs> you're so smart, deep throat. Uh, he's basically saying, if you're buying a piece of property that has sexy real estate on it, it doesn't make sense from a dollars and cents standpoint to develop on it. What you're going to buy is the lots that have the houses that are falling down. And then you're going to knock those houses down and you're going to build density on it. And you know what that's going to translate to? I've said this. This further reinforces the argument that I've been making for years on this talk show. And it's being further reinforced by a gentleman that clearly knows this business inside and out. Investors are going to target the lots in the worst Investors are going to target the lots in the neighborhoods or area of the city where they can just knock stuff down. And that's going to translate into rapid gentrification. 
It'll translate into rapid gentrification through assessments going up, tax bases going up, and through the change of neighborhood character. The upzoning is not going to go after North Downtown or Rugby or Greenbrier. It's not going to go after Tony Belmont. It's not going to go after the neighborhood right off of Barracks Road. It's going to go after the homes that you can purchase for two, three, four hundred thousand, knock down and build a structure on it. We've talked a lot about this, but I don't think local government truly has a firm grasp of the impact this is going to have on character, neighborhood character change, especially in financially, financially margin, marginalized neighborhoods. And I don't think they truly understand of how this is going to impact folks that are on fixed income with their taxes spiking when a four-unit structure is built right next to them. This data and these listings back it up. You now have a handful of listings in the city. Keith Smith showed me another one that are literally being marketed and promoted on upzoning potential that was approved, what? The 18th of December. John Blair has this comment. Jerry, you and Deep Throat are correct. As someone who lived on Chesapeake in the summers of 1987 and 1988, I was scared this would happen. That home, which I've been in, is clearly affordable. So we have pure speculation taking over. My guess is you'll get two nice, much more expensive homes and a decrease in affordability. This is gentrification on steroids. Bingo. And John Blair's another one. Deep Throat's one. John Blair's one. I've been one. Mr. DL has, is, has been one. Kimber Hawkey has been one. There's been a handful of people that have been screaming from the tops of Carter's Mountain saying that if you pass this plan, you're going to see gentrification on steroids and you're not going to see affordability. And here it's happening literally on the 4th of January when the plan was approved on the 18th of December. Georgia Gilmer, welcome to the broadcast. Lynn Snyder says, asking price has nothing to do with it. It is what it sells for, 100%. 100%, Lynn. We'll follow what it sells for. 100%. We'll see what it sells for. Absolutely, we'll see what it sells for. When you can take a piece of dirt that has an asking price of 500K and you could put potentially four structures on it, and you can either rent those structures for 2000 a month. You're talking $8,000 in rent. 8000 in rent for a $500,000 purchase is fantastic ROI. Fantastic ROI. 
or maybe you take, put four structures on it and you sell the four structures. You paid 500 for it and you sell the four structures for 350, 400. My guess is it's a rent play. Time will tell. Jerry Russell, welcome to the program. Christelle, welcome to the program. Bill McChesney, welcome to the program. A TV station and a newspaper watching us right now. Thank you kindly for watching us. Logan Wells, Claylo, welcome to the program. Anything you want to add on this, Judah? I think, I think you've said most all of it, but um, <clears throat> it is pretty insane that um, a little house like this, let's see, where is it? It is going for, uh, what What was it, $500,000? 500000 ask. Yeah. And, uh, but at, it does kind of make sense. I mean, it's a lot cheaper to... It's a lot cheaper to tear down a, a little 900-square-foot uh, house than it is a McMansion in, uh, in Keswick. Mr. DL says, McMansion in Keswick. I like that. Mr. D, is that a zing? No. Mr. DL says the assessment on 1316 Chesapeake is $277,200. The assessment is 277000 The asking price is 500 the owner lives in Texas of 1316 Chesapeake. Mr. Diaz obviously studied the GIS. 1316. This is the definite. This is exactly what we said on this talk show would happen. This is exactly what we said on this talk show would happen. I wonder when 1316 Chesapeake Street was purchased. I'm going to the Charlottesville GIS. There would be sad, sad irony if the person who purchased this... I literally haven't done this yet. There would be sad, sad irony if the, purchase who per, uh, the person who purchased this property did it recently. Because that would be... <laughs> Let's see when they purchased it. Joanne Witten owns it. It's all public record. I'm not blowing anyone's spot up. I literally see her home address in Texas. She lives in Conroe, Texas at 17040 Shyleaf Court. This is public record. Ownership history. No, darn it. I wish she had purchased. I wish Joanne Witten had purchased this in like 2022. If she had purchased this in like 2021 or 2022 just to land bank it for upzoning to be approved and then on the fourth day of the year had it listed for almost 2x the assessment, that would have been a sad, sad irony, would it not? A uh, sad irony or maybe, maybe a wise decision to... Can it uh, be both? I suppose if you're talking about the you're talking about the irony of uh, of the uh, someone in Texas buying dirt <laughs> a year or two years before upzoning is approved, and then on the fourth of January have it listed and talked about on a well watched talk show for the sole purpose of making money and gentrifying a neighborhood. No, she's not trying to gentrify a neighborhood. She's just trying to make money. Mm. All right. Thank you, uh, Deep Throat. Welcome back. Uh, Katie Pearl says, it will be interesting to see how the appraisers handle it. Absolutely. That's a great Woody Fincham question. Is Woody watching the program right now? Woody, are you watching? Woody was watching. 
I will ask, I'll see Woody tomorrow on Real Talk. That is a great question, KTP. I would imagine the appraisers are going to handle it on its upzoning potential. And I would not be surprised if the purchaser of this property is an all-cash buyer. But does the appraiser appraise... It's a Woody Fincham question on what it is today or what it could be tomorrow. That's what you're asking me. Well, if you're appraising a house... That you know, how do you appraise a house that you know is going to get torn down? On the potential of what it could be tomorrow. Four units. You put four units on an eighth of an acre and you rent each for 2K a pop. Realtor.com is saying the mortgage on this $500,000 purchase, if you pay full sticker price, 500K, the monthly nut according to Realtor.com is $2,972. You put four structures on it, you get 2K. 2K is conservative, that's 8,000. Granted, you're going to have to build them, that's going to cost you a lot of money. So you're going to take a loan on that. Still, the return is there. There's meat on the bone. Yeah. And I would imagine if it's done in this location, I mean, this location is straight baller. This location is, you know where this is at, right? This is right off Mead Avenue. Yeah. You know where it's at, right? Yeah, it's like across from the from the um, the pool, right off East Market Street. Yeah, you're you you got your directional skill set is legit. All right, folks are asking to talk restaurants. Kevin Yancey says, "Then it's not an appraisal; it's an opinion." Tomato, tomato. We got to get Kevin Yancey's photo on screen. Tomato, tomato. Potato, potato. Love when Kevin Yancey watches the program. Kevin is uh, number 11 in the family. Got his photo on screen? Yep. Philip Dow watching the program, the king of Scottsville. Let's get Philip Dow's photo on screen. Philip is number 19 in the family. Love when you watch the show, Philip. Scottsville, big ups. Big ups to Scottsville. Uh, Carol Thorpe watching the program. Let's get Carol Thorpe's photo on screen. Carol Thorpe is... Love when Carol comments. Number nine in the family. Get Carol Thorpe's photo on screen. Carol Thorpe says, I'd like to be a fly on Michael Payne's wall right about now. I wonder how Mr. Affordable Housing on City Council feels about his vote in support of upzoning. We said this was going to happen. We said this was going to happen. We said this was going to happen. All right. We got restaurants. This is where you're, you're trying to take over the show. I, I, I'm going to start doing really? a portion of the show where you are the Jerry and I am the Judah. Where you are the one and I'm going to switch to the two and be you. I mean, there's not a whole lot I can add to... Uh, oh, wait, wait, uh, wait to sell it, Judah. I, I mean, what do, you want, what do you want to know? If you were, if you were the ringmaster of the circus, this is what you would say as ringmaster of the circus... Our elephants are tired, our tigers are old, the popcorn is stale, the chairs are uncomfortable. Give us your money. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, um, that being said, uh, the oldest is actually Mickey Tavern. Whoa. I thought the oldest was Timberlake's. Well, you thought wrong. What is Mickey Tavern? 
Mickey Tavern was uh, created, built in 1777. But was it serving food? We may never know. I believe it was a tavern. Mickey the, Tavern, the, 1784, right? Uh, am I wrong? I mean, it says it on the website, 1784. Hmm. Let me go to the about page. About Mickey Tavern. I mean, oh, 1784 over here. 1784 pub. The pub is called the 1784 pub. Maybe that was when it was finally finished getting built. 1784 pub. Um, all right, so give us the list. Give us what you got here. I'll stop talking. Uh, the interesting thing is that it was bought by one Mrs. Mark Henderson in 1927, who moved it 17 miles to its current location. They had to. They had to. That's like, a good tidbit. I didn't know that. Log and graph every. You know, I, they moved the, the damn place. So it's not like they. You know, it's not like they uh, dug it up out of the ground and got. 20 guys to uh, pick it up and carry it. They actually took it apart and put it back together 17 miles away in its current location. And uh, that's when it was opened as a museum and, again, a tavern in 1928. Okay. So we're going to say Mickey Tavern, the oldest in the Charlottesville area. Not Charlottesville City. Mickey Tavern's in Almore County. And not necessarily the oldest restaurant, but it probably was a tavern originally. Um, it just wasn't a tavern in, its, in the spot that it's at now. And the year was, we're going to go 1784? Uh, sure, that's probably when it was finished. I would update built. it. Okay, number two on the list. Uh, well, we've got Timberlakes, 1890, okay. right? Tim- and, and this is... This is where we have a couple of caveats. Is Timberlakes a restaurant? Is it a drugstore with a restaurant? Is it mm-hmm. a restaurant with a drugstore? Did they serve food the entire time since launch? Right. Timberlakes is in the two slot of the oldest restaurants with a couple of asterisks, if you may, next to it. Mm-hmm. Number three. Uh, the Virginian. 1923. Know this one well. I thought it was interesting that uh, it temporarily went under during World War II. Explain that. Well, I, I can't. That's all I know. Temporary, temporarily went under. Now yeah. owned by Andy McClure, who owns the Biltmore, who owns Citizen Burger Bar. Mm-hmm. Andy McClure used to own Tavern and Grocery. Andy McClure used to own West Main. Andy McClure used to own Three, which was the former greenskeeper. He owned Jabberwocky. Andy McClure was a part-time, was a, was a one-time owner, one-time owner of Bell in Belmont with the Shaughnessy brothers. Andy McClure is a good friend of the talk show. He had a Citizen Burger Bar in Richmond in Carytown. He had a Citizen Burger Bar in Northern Virginia. Believe he still has a stake in a restaurant in Richmond. Andy McClure is great people. So that's the three slot, the Virginia. Mm-hmm. Four slot. Uh, fourth slot, uh, I believe we've got Riverside Lunch. Shocked me. This shocked me. Was it 1935? 1935. Learned this yesterday. Stephanie Wells Rhodes, this is right up your alley. I was shocked by this. That Riverside Lunch has been around since 1935. That means Riverside Lunch is approaching, can I say approaching when it's nine years away? It's 91 years old. Yeah. 
It's approaching its 91st birthday. It's approaching a 100-year anniversary Riverside lunch. Yeah. That is amazing, mm-hmm. especially for food and beverage. No doubt. Riverside lunch, arguably the best burgers out there. Mm-hmm. The basket of fries, the shoestring fries bring our comfort so food. Good. Comfort food. Yeah. I go to Riverside lunch with my wife and our two boys. We saddle up at the bar. Well, now that we have a one-year-old, we take a table. I think Pre-one-year-old, we saddled up at the bar, bellied up to the bar. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, they are great. And I think we heard yesterday that they started off in the, uh, in the CVS um, spot. Caddy Corner. Caddy Corner. 100%. Mm, caddy it's corner. not Caddy Corner. But that's Caddy Corner. No, it's not. How's that not Caddy? You're saying it's across the street? I mean, it's not really – Caddy Corner is like corner to corner, right? Caddy Corner would be diagonally across. Yeah. What's diagonally across over there? I'm going to Google Maps over there. All right, I stand corrected if it's not Caddy Corner. Diagonally across from CVS is just uh, – No, diagonally across from Riverside Lunch. From its current position? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's not there's not a cross street to make a caddy corner, but I think it's pretty close to Seville uh, Glass and Mirror. Cosner Brothers is kind of across the street. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It would have to be more on the corner to make a caddy corner. Yeah. Okay. What's next on the list? 1935 for Riverside. That's bananas. Jack and Jill. Georgia Gilmer said Riverside was out in the CVS Tractor Supply property for years. Hmm. Have you guys ever had the ice cream at the ice cream hut in the parking lot at Tractor Supply? I don't know if I've gotten ice cream there. I have gotten... uh, You know what I'm talking about? I've gotten the occasional hot dog. Not recently. Oh, uh, I love a good hot dog. A lot of people sketched out by encased meats. I have no problem with encased meats. I love the snap of the outer layer and then the conglomeration of various cow parts inside the encasement. Wow, you're really selling that encased meat. Uh... Encased meats are delicious. <laughs> Who makes the best hot dog in the area? Uh, I haven't tried very many hot dogs in the area. Oh, sounds like a research project right there. Do you like hot dogs? Yeah, I love hot dogs. I love hot dogs. Eric and Jenny Saunders used to own the downtown hot dog company in York Place on the downtown mall. Hmm. And they yeah. had gourmet hot dogs. I vaguely remember that, yeah. In York Place, that Some were of those sounded really odd. They were amazing. I got, I, I'm not gonna lie, like a hot dog with green beans on it. I don't know. Do you eat a hot dog with chili on it? Yeah. What's the difference? What's the difference between chili and green beans? It's just the topping. <laughs> How do you take your hot dog? Uh, let's see. If I had, if I had a choice of anything at whatsoever to put on it, I'd probably go. Uh, a uh, little bit of ketchup, uh, a decent amount of mustard, onions, possibly some uh, some relish, and definitely uh, definitely some uh, some cheese and chili. Oh my gosh, we're in absolute agreement. That's exactly how I would take my hot dog right there. A jumbo dog. The bun is key. I don't want a soggy bun that falls apart. Right. Just like a sandwich, the bread is key. A bun that can hold all the fixings. A jumbo dog, Mm -hmm. mustard, ketchup, relish, onions, loaded chili, and some cheese. I'd eat eat two of those, maybe three of those in a heartbeat. I probably would too. Depends on the hot dog though. 
I get uh, beef hot dogs are pretty rich. One of those is usually enough for me. Pretty rich? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, uh, I can't describe it any other way. Rich. <laughs> rich. I, heavy? Yeah, maybe. How about heavy? Eh, the, it's more the flavor than the, than the heaviness. Okay. Okay. What's next on the list? Let's see. Corner restaurant. Peter Wiley, welcome to the broadcast. Peter Wiley, you're uh, fantastic. You have a fantastic firm, Wiley Real Estate. Trey Barham, corner restaurant. If memory serves, was that 1950? That was. 1950 for corner restaurant, now owned by the Templeton family. How long have they owned it? No, oh, they've, uh, they've owned it since 1950. The Templeton family has owned it since 1950? That is amazing. That's what it says on their website. Owned and operated by the Templeton family since 1950. The Templetons are class A-plus people. Mm-hmm. They support high school sports big time. They are often behind the scenes doing like the cookouts at Almora High School. There's been many time at Monticello or Almora High School where the Templetons, Mr. Templeton, has been dishing out dogs and burgers to kids and parents over a, before a high school football game. His son, Stephen, I've talked about Stephen Templeton on this program all the time, a fantastic shortstop, second baseman, and pitcher for Charlottesville High School. Fantastic baseball player in the Jefferson District when I was a reporter for the newspaper. What's next on the list? People are asking about Jack and Jill's. Stephanie Wells wrote, says they were right where CVS is now. Trey Barham is asking about Jack and Jill's. The show is on absolute fire right now. We love connecting with you guys. Georgia Gilmer says Wayside. Can we, and Aberdeen Barn. Can we get Georgia Gilmer's photo on screen? Georgia Gilmer is number 12 in the family. Let's get Georgia Gilmer's photo on screen. G squared. Juan Sarmiento is watching the program. Let's get Juan's photo on screen. He's got beef with my green beans on the dog. I don't mind the green beans. A good green bean. Juan's 25 in the family. Hell of a bass player, Juan Sarmiento. You got, you're doing a lot of... You got your head on a who's swivel, at, right? Who's after Georgia? Juan Sarmiento. And let's not forget Bill McChesney watching the program. Judas... <laughs> Come on. You can, you can do more than one thing at once. I'm responding to comments while hosting the talk show. You're putting... You're doing a great job. Doing a great job. I think we might have missed one, but... Uh, Who did, you, did you get Georgia Gilmer? Yeah. Did you get Juan Sarmiento? Yeah. Did you get Bill McChesney? Yeah. All right. A++. What's next on the restaurant ranking? Oldest restaurants in town. Uh, next, we've got The Nook. The Nook was at 1951, 52, 53? 51. 1951. I know my restaurant trivia. The Nook, one time owned by Stu Rifkin, friend of the program. Hmm. The Nook is fantastic. Are you not surprised that there are not more diners in this town? My wife constantly mentions that to me. I am pretty surprised. Uh, there are, uh, I mean, th- there's nothing like a good diner. There's Tip Top. It used to be owned by Tip Top Terry. Tip Top Terry does not own Tip Top anymore. Tip Top Terry owns a great portion of the UVA corner, though. What are the diners in town? You have the Nook, you have Tip Top, you have is it the Cavalier Diner? I don't go north of uh, town a lot. I believe it's North Cavalier Diner. Oh, it's permanently closed. The Cavalier Diner? 
Ah, closed after 12 years last year? The Villa, the Villa Diner counts. That's hmm. another one. What else is on that ranking list? Uh, let's see. Jack and Jill's on there? Uh, we already passed that. What number was Jack and Jill's? Wait, didn't we? No, you didn't say Jack and Jill's. Yeah, we did. No, you didn't. Okay. You didn't say Jack and Jill's, nor did you say the Aberdeen Barn. Uh, Jack and Jill was 1944. You definitely did not say Jack and Jill's. Okay. Jack and Jill's owned by, owned by who? Jack and Jill? No, owned by Zanice <laughs> the Greek. Oh, yeah, of course I would know that. Zanice the Greek lives in Glenmore. See him walk in the loop all the time. Okay. Remember I almost did a real estate deal with Zanice and Dr. Hurt and, and the, the back of Jack and Jill's? And the Uzo. And the Uzo. And the Greek cigarettes and the crushed ice and Dr. Hurt having a mustard stain on his tie that was half-masked and a blue blazer with gold buttons and khaki pants that were wrinkled. Zanice's daughter kiboshed that deal. Had a basically ratified contract on the back of a Jack and Jill's napkin with a crayon and a Sharpie for signatures. Damn it. What's next on that list? Oh, let's see. Um, we already said the nook, so how about the white spot? What year is the white spot? This surprised me that the white spot wasn't around longer. 1953. 53. My dad went to UVA 68 to 72. So the white spot was 15 years old then. I thought the white spot was around longer than that. The white spot at one time, a lot of people, do you guys remember this, was open 24 hours. Little John's at one time is open 24 hours. There's a rumor circulating on the interwebs that, the, that, the, that Little John's is returning. I said months ago on this talk show, months ago on this talk show, I said that I got a DM on I Love Seville Instagram. We get a boatload of DMs from Little John's on the corner. And Judah, trust but verify. I'm sliding over to Judah's shop. Scoot over. Scoot over a little bit. Hi. It's, I'm taking... Hello. Okay. How you doing? Hey. What's going on? What are we doing? How's, how's life? Oh, it's good. You having a good day? Yeah. What's new with you? Uh, not much. Did you have a good New Year? Oh, yeah. Great New Year. Did you stay up past midnight? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know what? I, my wife and I, we went to bed at about 10 p.m. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I was doing anything uh, fun or spectacular. Were you raging? No. You weren't raging? No. Okay. Can you trust but verify here? Look at the timestamp. Little John's in the corner. These are direct messages. I said this in November. What's the timestamp? November. November The date. The date. November 17th. Okay, November 17th. I'm the blue bubbles, right? Kind of purplish. Okay, fine. Purplish. Good <laughs> lord. Such a <laughs> Judah at its T right there. Uh, too, All right. Too damn easy. Interact. What, what did you see there? Uh, you are excited that they're reopening. Can you, so people know that an additional set of eyeballs is reading it. Can you do the play by play of the direct message conversation with the Little John's Instagram account from November 17th? Now, this rumor is circulating on the interwebs that Little John's is returning. I said in November on this talk show that this was happening. I stand by my story about Maury Avenue and the Marie Bet team 
opening a version of their cafe in the old Anna's location. I caught a lot of heat from that. I stand by it. Judah, can you read that DM, please, from November 17th? All right. Will you be reopening on the UVA corner in the same location? And the answer is yes. <laughs> opening to be announced 2024. What else? What else? There's more? But wait, there's more. Oh, Judah. Uh, Want to talk about this on the I Love Seville show on Monday? Thanks. We won't be doing any interviews until January. Just a lot, of, a lot to focus on right now to get us open. We want to use this platform to generate a little buzz informally. There it is. We first broke that news in November on the 17th on the I Love Seville show. And today, it's going viral in this community. Little John's reopening. This That's is great. why you watch the talk show. I stand by a version of their cafes opening on Maury Avenue. Donuts. 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 In the old Anna's location, the Marie Bad team. I stand by it. What else is on that list? Uh, I think we're just about at the end. Uh, we, I think we skipped a few and went to CNO. CNO is a big name, but uh, founded by whom? Uh, There's been three owners see. of the CNO. You got this, Judah. You got this, Judah. What are the three owners of the CNO? The you three got the owners of this. I honestly have no idea. Number one was he just sold his bookstore on the corner. What was the name Daedalus Books? Daedalus. Oh, man. I don't know if I remember that guy's name. The names. The names. One of the, hmm. one of the, can, I, can, I, can I throw this to you? You ready for this? Okay. Sandy McAdams. Yeah, I never would have gotten he that. He sold it to Jackson Landers. One of the key talents or skills to make human connection is names. Remembering names. If you can utilize someone's name or remember their name, especially after a long period of time of not speaking to that person, and call them by their name first and last is even more impressive, that goes a long way into building human connection. Names. It's good to know. You know what Oprah Winfrey said? Names are important. You know what Oprah Winfrey said about every person? Every person has the common traits. You know what those common traits are? Everybody has a name. Everyone has a name. Oprah Winfrey said, everyone wants to be seen, heard, and understood. Seen, heard, and understood. And part of being seen, heard, and understood is being able to communicate with somebody by their name. Mm -hmm. Sandy McAdams, the founder of CNO, Sandy McAdams, passed the torch to Dave Simpson, the late, great Dave Simpson. Dave Simpson passed the torch to the current owner, Dean Maupin. Sandy McAdams, the founder of Bookstore right over, over there. You know this one. Uh, you're talking about Daedalus Bookstore? That you're Say it again. Talking about? Daedalus? Yeah. Now owned by Jackson Landers, who purchased the bookstore from Sandy in a $900,000 plus dollar seller finance transaction. Jackson Landers, the former reporter, carrying on the torch 
of the bookstore. Any other items on that list? Folks are specifically Georgia Gilmer talking about Miller's restaurant, hmm. the Aberdeen Barn. Are either of those on your list? Nope, they are not. I would very much suggest it sounds like they should be. Miller's. We'll add them then. The Aberdeen Barn. There used to be an Aberdeen Barn in Williamsburg. Is there still an Aberdeen Barn in Williamsburg? I believe there used to be three Aberdeen Barns at one time. Yeah, there's still an Aberdeen Barn in Williamsburg in Richmond Road. Home of the William Mary Tribe, Williamsburg. My stopping grounds of my youth and teenage days when I got into significant trouble in Williamsburg, Virginia. I don't um, doubt it. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to add to the list or any ones that we're missing? Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think we're, I mean, we're definitely missing a few. It's not like... Uh, we... Viewers and listeners, what's, which one should be on there? Rattle off the list really quickly. And it sounds like you need to add Miller's and the Aberdeen Bar. And possibly more. Let's see. Um, Let's go from start to finish quickly. All right. Timberlakes, the Virginian, Mickey Tavern, Riverside Lunch, Jack and Jill, Corner Restaurant, The Nook. Uh, let's see. I don't know if you want to consider this a restaurant. Food of All Nations uh, was opened in 1955. Wayside Chicken in 1963. Ooh, Wayside's good. Uh, Aberdeen Barn in 1965, uh, the White Spot. Spudnuts was in 1969. Sadly, it is uh, now just a shell being used for other purposes. And uh, let's see, Lord Hardwick's, 1970. Integral Yoga was started in 1975. Integral Yoga? The grocery store? Apparently. Okay. I didn't know. Well, we're, we're being a little... Okay. Let's include that. Go ahead. You want to include Integral no, Yoga? No, we'll include Integral Yoga. We're equal opportunity employers here. You'd say yes? Yes. I wouldn't say Integral Yoga is necessarily a restaurant. I wouldn't either. But I'm if we're including Foods of All Nations, granted Foods of All... I think we should include Foods of All Nations because Foods of All Nations has seating where you can buy hot bar food or deli food or takeout food and technically eat it inside Foods of All Nations. I'm not convinced you can do that in Integral Yoga, but if we're including Foods of All Nations, we should include Integral Yoga. All right. Um, Little John's started in 76. Do we want to add that, even though it's currently... Are they, are they reopening in the same spot? Same spot. Hmm. Same spot. Should we include it? The, the, the chitter-chatter around town is Stefan Friedman, the owner of Draft Tap Room, the owner of Bonnie Reed's, the old Brasserie Saison, Stefan Friedman, the owner of Licking Hole Creek Brewery, Stefan hmm. Friedman, the owner of Base Ace Biscuit and Barbecue, is the owner of Little John's. That's the scuttlebutt that the little birdies are tweeting into my ear and my scuttlebutt little birdie tweeting into my ear proven track record is fantastic. You, you would attest. Uh, he attests. There he goes. Look right, at that. Look at him attested. attesting over there. Fantastic attestment. Any other restaurants on there? Uh, yeah. Uh, then we get to CNO again at 76. 
Crozet Pizza, 77. Fellini's, number 9, 79. Miller's was in 81. Dooner's in 83. Mel's Cafe in 84. Chaps in 85. Wow, we got a whole bunch. Uh, Hotcakes, Sal's Cafe Italia, and St. Martin Cafe, all founded in 1986. How about, is Fox's Cafe on there? Nope. Fox's Cafe is a topic on the talking list. There's construction happening at Fox's Cafe. Does anyone know what's going on at Fox's Cafe right now? Or when it was built. You can't figure out when it was built with the interwebs? Oh, I didn't say that. Fox's Cafe. Charlottesville. Year built. Uh, I can tell you a Fox's Cafe story. Rather than what year it was built? Well, I'm hoping you can find that. (laughs) Let's see. Fox's Cafe... Maybe you find that. I used to live in Belmont. Looks like it might have been founded in 89. 1989? There's construction happening at Fax's Cafe. James Watson sent me that tidbit of information. Is JW watching the program? James Watson? We should get James Watson's photo on screen if we could. James Watson's a key member of the family, number five in the power poll. Here's a little IVN, Georgia Gilmer says, 35 plus years needs to be on the list. The what? The IVN. Hmm. 35 plus years. No. Nope. The IVN. Angelo, Angelo, Angelo. My Fox's Cafe story, are you ready for Fox's this? Fox's was 89, that was something else. Wait, are you striking 89? Are you making a correction? I'm saying 89 is not correct. When I lived in Belmont, Circa 2005, God, that was 18 years ago. I lived in Belmont. It's bananas. On Little Graves, right behind Spud Nuts, right off Grave Street. Me and three buddies, one of our buddies climbed a rope ladder to the attic. We were mm-hmm. broke jokes. We used to walk to Fox's Cafe. And in 2005, you could still smoke cigarettes in restaurants. And Fox's Cafe is not exactly a large cafe. And at the time, it catered to a clientele that were heavy cigarette smokers. So you'd walk into Fox's Cafe and literally be hit with a cloud of cigarette smoke as if you were eating scrambled eggs, toast, breakfast potatoes, and some grits with a cup of coffee and a chimney. But I would go all the time because the food was priced fairly. It was always serviced with a smile. And I often knew a handful of people inside the cafe. Looks like it was founded in 1995. 1995? By Mrs. Diane Fox. Makes it 28 years old. Now, it was not a continuous 28 years for Fox's. Got many a story. Also on Little Graves, this was before Belmont was truly gentrified. At the end of Little Graves, OG Belmont, old school Belmont, there was a house where the OG lived, and they had a shed in the back of their house on Belmont. And this shed had a pool table 
Maybe a okay. seven foot or eight foot pool table is in that, a shed in the back there, of Belmont. Are there different sizes? Yes, there's different sizes. You didn't know there were different sized pool tables? I mean, I know, I know there's like snooker tables and there's a like seven that. foot table, there's an eight foot table, there's a nine foot table, there are bar box tables, wow. there are drop pocket tables, there's different size seven footers and different size eight footers. It takes a very unique house or setup to have a nine foot because you need room to shoot, to swing the cue, pull the cue back. Yeah. They had either a seven foot or eight foot pool table in a shed at the back of Belmont. At the back of Little Graves. And I would got to know these guys. These guys were very blue collar, very OG. They loved pounding Budweiser's amongst other things. And we would spend hours shooting pool on this bar box pool table. I grew up with the pool table, a nine-foot pool table. Paid a lot of bills shooting pool and gambling, as I've highlighted on this, previous, on this show previously. So when I'm playing these guys that were pounding Budweiser's, amongst other things, and playing pool on their home turf in a shed in Belmont, before Belmont became Yuppieville, I kept, Does the playing, I kept the playing ability in check. A couple of times they said, let's start playing for some money. I was like, ah. Then competitive Jerry eventually comes out. $5, $10, $20, $30, and then $50 games. Up some money in this shed on the base of Little Graves. In is Belmont. This, is this going to connect back to Fox's Cafe? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And after one afternoon of racking up, I don't know, close to $100 from these OG Belmontonians that were a case of Bud Heavies deep, camel reds thrown on the ground, shots of Jim Beam, among other things, and I'll leave it at that. I noticed the mood in the room. <laughs> they were going to kill you and take that $100 back. The mood in the room became a little <laughs> tense. And I said to the gentleman, breakfast on me tomorrow. Fox's Cafe. 10 a.m. I wanted the hangover to be kind of worn off but still in play. The three guys met me at Fox's Cafe for breakfast at 10 a.m. the following day. And I bought breakfast for myself and these three guys. They were hungover. Nothing beats a little grease to get over a hangover. We had eggs. We had grits. We had breakfast potatoes. We had bacon. We had sausage. We had orange juice. We had coffee. I walked out of there after picking up the bill <clears> and leaving tip, and it was still like 60 some, $63, $64 in my pocket. Mm-hmm. $63, $64 for a 22, 23-year-old in 2005 was a lot of money, especially when our rent was $180 a month because our friend Shannon was climbing a rope ladder into the attic mm-hmm. for his place where he was staying. True story. Crazy times. Um, all right, UVA, final topic. UVA beat Louisville last night. Louisville is, can I have my phone back? Are you, are you looking at my DMs over there? Are you trying to get into my DMs? Definitely not. Did you watch that Louisville UVA game? Uh, when was that? Last night. No, I didn't. You didn't watch that game? No. 
UVA pounded Louisville. I'm very, I'm a little less bullish on this team than I once was. This UVA team. We've had some blowouts. They clearly have some rebounding issues. Clearly have rebounding issues. I'm also concerned about their ability to win on the road. This team is very reliant on youth, which is concerning. Tony Bennett did tell us we will get better as the season goes on, so we have to trust the man who walks on water and takes a few fish and a few loaves of bread and feeds 16,000 people at the John Paul Jones Arena that he knows what he's doing, and I know he knows what he's doing. And Tony Bennett we trust. We'll follow this team closely, but a hell of a win against Louisville last night with Isaac McNeely looking like he could not miss with balance. I love seeing Ryan Dunn playing more on the perimeter and slashing to the rack as opposed to playing the four. Last night he was playing the three, which allowed him to start on the perimeter and attack the rack and hit cutting lanes and slashing lanes. Um, McNeely, when he's hitting that jump shot, this team is really, really good because it opens up the floor for others. Gross was hitting the jump shot. Rody looks like a 6'6 point guard at times. He's got great vision, great court awareness. Reese is Reese. He's going to get his 13, 15 points and six to eight assists and only have one or two turnovers. We'll see what happens. I would love to see a little bit more of interior rebounding from this program. That's the Tuesday, no, today's Thursday. Wow, it's a short week. That's the Thursday edition of the I Love Seville show. I thought we did pretty well today. Did you? Yeah, not too bad. Thought we did pretty well. You working on these little highlight projects, you know, the oldest restaurants in town or burgers really adds to the show. It gives you a nice foundation of talking points for the program. And it brings a... um, culture and um, human interest side to the show. So, props. Props. Uh, All right, that's all she wrote. That's the Thursday edition of the I Love Seville show. If you like the show, please tell people about it. Hit the like button on Facebook. Give us a comment, like, good job, or give us some props. That goes a long way. We're very grateful for your support of the I Love Seville show and this network, guys. We work very hard and, and... we enjoy seeing that the network is growing and then it has significant viewership and listenership. We, we do enjoy it. It's fruits of the labor. Um, we'll see you tomorrow at 10, 15 a.m. with Real Talk with Keith Smith. So long, everybody.